said already, but I want to hit it again. This evening, uh, we will be having all kinds of good things happening. So plan on coming back out, hot dogs, hamburgers, homemade ice cream. I mean, you can't go wrong with some homemade ice cream. So uh, please make sure if you're planning to make a batch, make a good batch and bring it on. And if you need a taster to uh, sample it, see if it's good. I'm volunteering. Um, we've got cornhole. We've got uh, our wiffle ball game. Uh, but anyway, we hope that you'll plan on coming. Bring some friends. should be a, a fun evening, great evening, as we uh, celebrate Fourth of July a couple of days early. Uh, but uh, hopefully you celebrate your freedoms daily, as we should. Uh, question here, since it, it is... Shaker there, that could, that could get me in trouble. Um, since it's close to 4th of July, I want to kind of start some things off with some patriotic comments. So, uh, God bless you. I was waiting on that, Randy. Thank you. Right on cue. That's an inside joke for you visitors. Just come back next week, you'll know what I mean. What happened as a result of the Stamp Act? The Americans licked the British. <laughs> anyway, that's a... Hey, uh, how come, <laughs> they get worse, <laughs> stay tuned. How come there's no knock-knock joke about America? Because freedom rings. All right, what's red, white, black, and blue? Uncle Sam falling down the stairs. Hey, what kind of tea did the American colonists want? Liberty. Ah, what was General Washington's favorite tree? The infantry. Good try, good try. <laughs> now here's one of my favorites. What do you call a redneck bursting into flames? A firecracker. <laughs> yes, that was a racial joke. I'm sorry. I resemble that comment. Um, what was the most popular, popular dance in 1776? The independent dance. Come on, man. Y'all got the independent dance. Get it anyway. What does the Statue of Liberty stand for? Because you can't see it. Man, you guys, come on. Y'all got to wake up. I'm going to keep going. Who was the biggest jokester in George Washington's army? Lafayette. Anyway, that's, you have to do your homework on that one. What's the difference between a duck and George Washington? One has a bill on his face and the other has his face on a bill. Y'all tell me when you're done. <laughs> um, what quacks has webbed feet and betrays his country? Benedict Arnold. Sorry. Why were the, why were the first Americans like ants? They lived in colonies. I know, I'm losing you. Let me, let me just... Thank you. Thank you. See, those folks watching at home via television won't know the difference. All right. Did you hear about the uh, Liberty Bell? Did you hear about the Liberty Bells Act? You cracked me up. Anyway. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get ready to close. I got, I got two more. Three more. Three more. Hang tight. What would you get if you cross George Washington with cattle feed. The fodder of our country. Where's my drum when I needed it? Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Uh, two more. <laughs> what did one flag say to the other? Nothing, it just waved. Thank you, see, somebody's, that's why we hired that guy right there. He comes down to my office and uh, anyway, we tell jokes, no we don't. Last one, some of you, yes, bad jokes too. Well, here, here's my last one. I know, you could, thank you. I knew it, thank you. I'm here all week. Which colonist told the most jokes? Now, some of you ought to get this one. Which colonist told the most jokes? The Pennsylvanians. The pun, so, anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got for you, folks. That's why I stick to preaching. All right, let's, <laughs> yes, amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's go to Exodus. You said, well, wait a minute. I thought we were in the book of Hebrews. 
For those of you who are visiting with us, all my visitors, listen up. Visitors, normally, yes, my jokes are that bad, usually they're worse. But in all seriousness, normally we do a book study. We go line by line, verse by verse, through a book. We are currently in the book of Hebrews. So if you're planning to come back next week, and I know for my church folks, some of you are like, ooh, I've been waiting all week to come back and hear what we left off from last week. Some of you were saying that, I'm sure. Um, Lord willing, we'll get back into chapter 8 of Hebrews next week. So if you're visiting, you want to come back next week, go ahead and read chapters 1 through 8. That'll kind of get you caught up to where we are in our weekly study. For those of you who are anticipating this week us discussing New Covenant, Covenant Theology, and Dispensationalism, we will talk about that next week. Um, in fact, just so you kind of know, uh, it's been a very in-depth week of study. And last night somewhere, I was just having an unsettledness. I was planning on doing our continued study in Hebrews 8. And I think I was talking to Dean on the phone, and, um, and I said, you know, I'm just I'm thinking, I think I need to change this message up, just sort of feeling led to do something different. And then I came over last night, and I worked for about three hours on chapter 8 of Hebrews, and then at about 10 o'clock said, I, I'm going to change this up. And so this is why we're in Exodus 12, uh, lest you're wondering. Uh, it is a 4th of July weekend, and, uh, and for that reason, I do feel like uh, with a number of visitors, anticipating a number of visitors, and thank the Lord for all of our visitors, that uh, this is the message that the Lord has for us. Because there's some important things I want us to reflect upon as we celebrate this week our freedoms as a country, as Americans. And there's also some things that we as Americans need to get in priority. And so that's why we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. We're going to reflect on some biblical truths and hopefully come to a, a point uh, at the conclusion of this study today uh, where we have a, a great appreciation for the God we serve and the country we live in. Um, with that said, come back next week and we'll be talking about dispensationalism versus covenant theology. For some of you, you have no interest in that, but... It'll be an interesting study nonetheless. Please come and be a part of that. We'll get back to that next week. So here we are today in Exodus chapter 12. And let's begin our reading in verses 1 through verses 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You, may, uh, you, shall, make your covenant, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish." a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. 
and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Father, I ask that you will uh, please allow me to be a vessel today to proclaim your truth, to encourage those folks that are gathered here that are listening via the radio or watching via television. Lord, use your word as you promised you would, that it would not return void. Lord, allow this study this morning to uh, uplift us, to draw us near to you as you draw near to us. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that's done here today. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as mentioned, we are focusing our attention on celebrating the 4th of July. And no doubt, we live in a great country. But I don't want us to lose sight of something that's even more important. Yes, we're citizens of the U.S., but as believers in Jesus Christ, we are citizens of a greater kingdom. The Bible says as believers, you are a holy nation. You and I are a royal priesthood. We are ambassadors for Christ. As great as America is, and it is great, and God has shed His grace on thee, we must never lose perspective, believer. This is not our home. We are, we are on a journey. We are passing through. We are pilgrims. And so when we gather and we turn our attention today, and, and I think, you know, it, 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 we should. And I know a lot of folks and some will argue, well, you know, I don't think we should do this and that in the house of God. And look, God has blessed this nation. And it's come at a great price. And no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friends. A many of our family members, friends, have laid down their life for this country. And we honor that. We celebrate that in the sense of the freedom that was purchased on the backs of them who were willing to sacrifice the greatest thing, their life, that we might have life. That's a Christ-like example to purchase freedom. Again, Christ-like example. One thing we have learned in our study in the book of Hebrews, it ought to be this. The Old Testament are types and shadows. They were pointing to something. These types... These shadows were pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And when Christ came, He fulfilled those types and shadows. We'll get back into that as we begin to look at the, uh, the different things within the temple, within the tabernacle. We will see in, as we continue our study in Hebrews how these are pictures of Christ and how Christ fulfilled that. It's going to be a good... I, I'm actually looking forward to that part of the study. I think you'll find it very helpful and insightful. And yet today as believers, we also look back to the cross at Calvary. We look back to our redemption that was purchased at Calvary. And by the sacrifice that Christ gave, we have freedom. A freedom that far exceeds the freedoms that we as American citizens are privileged to have. I kind of liken it to this. And this is, I know analogies are never... They always break down. Their illustrations just never kind of you know, carry it through. But this is the best my feeble mind could come up with. I look at my wife, and I love my wife. I honor my wife. Cherish my wife. But my wife does not hold the position that God holds in my life. She is a gift from God. She is a blessing of God. America... I love America. I cherish the freedoms that I have as an American citizen. But America as a country does not hold the place 
that God should hold in our life, believer. Does that make sense? I will lay down my life for my wife if the situation should present itself. I would hope that God gives me that same grace to lay down my life for my country if it comes to that. I think it's important that we understand this balance because I think there's a healthy balance to be found. It concerns me that we have extremes in the church. Some today, all they will do will be simply pointing people to America. And it will just be glorify America. That's all they'll do today in church. Simply pledge allegiance to the flag. That's, that's basically what today's service in a lot of churches will be all about. And then the other side of the coin... I'm sorry, I, I just realized I passed the tape. My, my cameraman has put tape down up here so I don't go too far and I break the rules. Ha! <laughs> sorry, right there. Anyway. The other side of that coin, though, you, you, you've got the, uh, uh, in essence, the traditionalists. And then there's a new movement that's happening today, and it really concerns me, is the revisionist movement that le is leading to anarchy in the streets. And there's a hint of that even within the church. No more should I do that with my wife, understanding and, and grateful for the relationship. There is a balance to be found within my citizenship as an American. And again, I know analogies break down. I understand that. I understand illustrations break down. Brittany and I had a great conversation about this this week, and we talked about some of these concerns. And there are concerns. That's why we need to find ourselves biblically balanced, eyes on Christ. Because that's what enables us to be good husbands and good Americans. Not taking for granted the liberty, the freedoms that we have in the person of Christ enables me to fulfill both of those roles in a way that honors, cherishes, loves. Does that make sense? And surely we as good Bible believers hold to the truth that Christ came for more than just Americans. Which is one of the reasons why we are in other countries. Not just defending our freedoms, but being instruments in the hand of God to open the door for the gospel to go into the world. The news may paint one picture, but when we see things through eyes of eternity, we know that all things work together for good for those who are called or according to His purpose, for His glory. We recognize, I hope we recognize, that in spite of all the problems and commotions and confusions, that God's people are moving forward for the kingdom of God. And that message in hope as doors open in other places May we fill those holes. May we fill those gaps. May we go where God tells us to go and take the gospel. And that's to the other ends of the earth. Missions week's coming up. Opportunity for us to begin right here in our own Jerusalem. I hope you're planning on being involved in some way. And if you can't be here, will you at least commit to be praying as we're out there on the front lines uh, carrying the gospel of Christ doing tangible projects, pouring into people's lives, helping folks, that we will be hands and feet for the cause of Christ. Today's message is entitled Dependence Day. Dependence Day. As much as I, again, love Independence Day, I am more grateful for Dependence Day. I am wholly dependent upon Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. So, Dependence Day, let's focus on that. We've seen here in, in Exodus 12, again, speaking of the great history of a country, the great history of Israel is the example set before us. And when we think about what's laid out here in this passage, I want us to focus in on some things. The first point I want us to look at is the Passover. The Passover. Now, you realize that in the context of the passage we just read, this is at the end of the plagues. Uh, this is the last and final plague. And so God is getting ready to set His people free. The chosen people of Israel. 
the nation as it is, is going to begin its exodus out of Egypt. They've been in oppression. They've been in bondage in Egypt. And so as we read through this, we recognize because of types and shadows, this is a pointing to the ultimate Passover found in Jesus Christ. Christ's coming, Christ's sacrifice, His death, His burial, and resurrection is the ultimate freedom to release us from the bondage of sin, to deliver us from one kingdom into a new kingdom. You're here today, you're either a slave of sin or you're a slave of righteousness. That's the way the Scripture paints it. And we can only find and experience our freedom in the Passover of Christ. But he gives this as a type to the people of Israel who were still waiting after 400 years of bondage and slavery in in the land of Egypt, still waiting for the Genesis 3.15 promise that a seed would come from the woman that one day would crush the head of the serpent, though his heel would be bruised. They're still waiting for the promised seed that was told to Abraham through Isaac, Jacob. They're still waiting the coming Messiah. And so what a picture we have here. The Passover. The first thing we see here, look in verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning. You may want to underline that. Your beginning. For the nation of Israel... Notice what God does first. He changes the calendar. It's remained changed to this very day. The religious calendar starts the month of Nisan. No, that's not a car. You know, you find some good cars in the, in the Bible. Nisan, Accord. Anybody got any other? Okay, all right. It begins the month of Nisan, March or April. Uh, goes through the month of Adar, which is uh, February, March. Why did God change this? Why did he change the calendar? What do you think was the point in his changing of the calendar? This is the beginning. Again, this is their their deliverance. This is Independence Day for their nation. This is an important time. This is an important marking. This is a beginning. And so that's why the, change, uh, the, the calendars change. He knows that everything begins with the Passover. And so, think about that. Hebrews chapter 8, we've been studying, talking about this. We're going to get back into it next week. The old covenant is vanishing away. The new covenant has come. The whole point of the Hebrew writer is arguing with the Hebrew listener whose some are on the fence. There are some who are back in the Old Testament wanting to hang on to the traditional things, the traditions, and yet that saves no one. Why? After being, Galatians speaking uh, uh, to to another audience that was similar in their problems, why, if you began in the Spirit, would you return to the bondage of the law? And so the Hebrew writer, whether it's the person on the fence, whether it's the uh, person who's wanting to go back into the practices of the Old Testament, he says, no, 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 no. Christ has come. We have a new covenant, a better covenant with greater promises. Why would I go back there? And so when we read this passage in Exodus, understanding the types and shadows, understanding of the coming of the new covenant, Jesus' death on the cross for us believer, is the beginning of a new covenant. It is the beginning of the new creation. One of my favorite passages of Scripture says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It's the beginning of a new creation. It's a, uh, once a person places their faith in Jesus, the beginning of real life as God has intended begins. A person's life doesn't amount to anything until they get this point, till they get the point of the cross, till they get the point of the Passover lamb as was read earlier. Behold, John speaking of Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
If you've not experienced the new birth, you haven't experienced life. We're still dead in our trespasses and sin. So if you're here and you haven't come to believe in the death of Jesus for your sins, you haven't even begun. So here in Exodus, we see that Moses leading the people out, he and Aaron, in following the instructions of God. We begin with the Passover. Notice also in verses 3 and 4, it's personal. It's personal. Uh, The next point that we see is that God makes everything very personal. Notice if you would. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, verse 3, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. You know, he could have just had one lamb killed for the entire nation, right? But he didn't. He wanted every household in Israel to identify itself with the lamb. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever raised any pigs or chickens that you later went on to eat. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> A few of you, yes. <laughs> now, I don't know if you became attached or personal, you know, with the, you know, with the little piggy. Um, you know, I, I'm just saying. Uh, I haven't met any bacon I didn't like, but, you know. I can imagine maybe that was tough. These people would identify themselves, each household, with the lamb. They each had to take a lamb. They each had to inspect the lamb. They each had to kill the lamb. You know, it reminds us of how personal the cross is. Just as every Israelite household had to kill their lamb, our own personal sin was responsible for the death of Jesus. It also should remind us of how His love is great for each of us as individuals. Yeah, I know, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him should not die, but have eternal life. He, he, he died, whosoever will let Him come. But it's personal. Salvation is personal. It's individual. And this is seen here in this passage. I think there's an intentionality in this type, this shadow. He did it for you. He did it for me. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he knew this. He wrote, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You can't get any more personal than that. If you're here today, you struggle with whether or not God loves you, look to the cross of Calvary. God's given a Passover lamb to take away the sin of the world. He's made it personal. It's for you. It's for me. Whosoever will, let them come. God demonstrated His love to us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. No greater love is a man than to lay down his life. Christ laid his life down. No one took it from him. He laid it down for you, and he laid it down for me. Because that was the only mode in which we could be delivered. So we see here in this passage, in application, the Passover, it's personal. It's also perfect. Look at uh, Exodus 12, 5 and 6. It says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. Without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Jesus faced the same temptations that you and I do. Yet he was without sin, without blemish. Again, we see the foreshadowing, the type, Christ's fulfillment. He also faced far more trials than you and I face. More than we could ever cope with. I don't know what you're facing. Don't know what your trial is this morning. But can I give you some good news? Jesus is overcome. You have victory in Christ. Jesus was without sin. People tried to trap him. Oh, the Pharisees, they threw those questions, didn't they? Some of you face that at work. You get the old stumpers. Oh, yeah, well, if the Bible's true, well, who was Cain's wife? Huh? Answer that one, tough guy. Uh, his sister. Oh, you're gross, man. Were they West Virginia? Hey, sorry, my West Virginia family. I love you, but you know the jokes. In fact, y'all probably came up with them. <laughs> And again, for answers like these and more, come to our annual apologetics conference. <laughs> so, Where do dinosaurs come from? Come see us. We'll talk about it. They tried to trick him. They tried to tempt him. But he was the spotless lamb of God without defect. Now, side note. It was mentioned earlier uh, in the text here that they were to take the lamb on the 10th of the month and keep it until the 14th of that same month. And it was to be slain at twilight. Now, some people a lot smarter than me have sought to study this. Some of you are saying, well, that didn't take much. Um, thank you, Carver. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that twilight is between the sun's uh, decline and sunset. So it's between the sun's decline and sunset, somewhere between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. All right? Now, some commentators have shown that Palm Monday, yes, I did say Palm Monday. If y'all were here for my Luke study, you know why we, we looked at that. But whether you're Palm Sunday or Palm Monday, I'm just glad you have two palms. <laughs> anyway, um, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey... Matthew 21, 1 through 11, was in fact the 10th of Nisan. The very day when the spotless lamb was to be chosen in fulfillment of the Old Testament type. So for the next four days, while Jesus was here earthly, there in Jerusalem, for the next four days, Jesus presented himself to the people in Jerusalem. For inspection. And Jesus was found without defect. And on the 14th day of that month, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Matthew 27, 46, while all throughout Israel, different households were starting to kill their lambs, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Calvary and many didn't even notice not only do we see the Passover not only is it personal not only do we see he is perfect this passage in 7 through 10 is predictive notice verse 7 through 10 And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire." You know what? This passage is why I know that God likes our ladies selling cookbooks. 
Hey, look, he was one of the first ones to put together a recipe book, right? I mean, you know, I'm just saying. But pretty detailed, right? Pretty detailed instructions. Why roast the lamb? There's a reason for this, obviously. And I think a part of it points to the fact fire oftentimes in Scripture speaks of judgment. Malachi 3, 1 through 5, 4, 1 through 3, Matthew 3, 12. Just as the spotless lamb had to be cooked by fire and anything that they didn't eat up was burnt up, Jesus was fully judged for our sin while on the cross. You look at the other cooking instructions there, if you will. They include bitter herbs, unleavened bread. Again, these have types, foreshadowings, figurative language in the sense of uh, predictive sense. The bitter herbs were to be a reminder of the bitterness that accompanied their life down in Egypt as well as their journey out. And in like manner, good for us, when we think about the cross, we need to remember the bitterness of bondage and how God rescued us from the bitterness of our life prior to Calvary. The sin that we were rescued from. The leaven in the Bible often speaks of sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8 reminds us that in view of the cross and through God's strength, we're called to live a righteous life. So we see Passover, personal, it's perfect, predictive. Fifth point, prepared. Look in verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So God turns His attention now to uh, readiness. They're prepared. When they eat it, they're to be prepared with their sandals, they're to have their staff in hand. This Passover was going to be the means of Israel's deliverance from the Egyptian empire. So they've got to be ready. The journey's beginning. And again, I think there's application for us, even today. Uh, believing in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf is the beginning of an entire new journey. An entire new walk. It's the starting line. It's not the finish line. It's the starting line. Many of you know this to be true. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, some of you, life began, but it began to stink. It began to get tough. I'm not painting a rosy picture up here of give your life to Christ and everything's going to be hunky-dory. You know, I won't smile real big and bat my eyes at you and just tell you, you can get your best life now. I mean, I won't, I, well, maybe I just did do that. Anyway, you know what? Quite honestly, if you give your life to Christ, you may suffer. You may suffer the worst persecution you've ever faced in your life. The wheels may come off of your life when you give your life to Christ. Won't you come? Won't you come? Anyway. Seriously, though, I was counseling with a young man this week. And he's been going through a lot. A lot. But I am grateful that when the wheels came off, he reached out to his former pastor. He wanted to sit down and talk about what was going on in his life. And he's seeming to want to return to the Lord and get his life in order. And he began to tell me that it's been pretty cruddy <laughs> since he gave his life to Christ. And I tried to reason with him that the reason his life was so cruddy partly was because he was living in sin. And God was spanking him. You know God will spank you if you want to practice a lifestyle of sin and you're one of his kids. That's what good dads do, right? They discipline. Your, your heavenly father, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's a good dad and he, he, he will spank you. 
but it's to bring you to repentance. And I hope and pray, and you can pray for this young man. I won't give his name, but I pray that God is working repentance in his heart, that he will respond to the grace that God has given him in this moment to return. Now, there's some good things that have happened this week, and I, I do, again, I know Scripture tells me all good things come from our Father above, and so praise be to God. Well, let's try to finish out. I got seven points. We're, we're getting there, gang. So we see uh, not only prepared, and uh, our journey's begun. So I ask you today, I think about these Israelites. Where was their hope? You know, Where was their peace? So let's look at peace, the sixth point. Peace, Exodus 12, verses 12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all their firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So judgment was to come upon Egypt. The only hope for Israel was under the blood. Let me ask you a question. Why were the Israelites saved? Was it because of their own goodness, because they were personally worthy? No. Newsflash. You and I weren't saved because, well, we were just, you know, good people. Deep down, we're just good people. No, deep down, we're deprived. We are depraved. There's none that seeks after Him. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Scripture does paint a pretty bleak picture about you and me. Dead. Dead people don't do a lot of things, do they? I mean, you know, I've, I've done a few funerals. I've yet to see one of them go, Oh, man, let me tell you what's going on. No, I haven't seen that yet. Dead people don't do a lot. Guess what? You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed the grace of God to invade our world. We talked about this in Sunday school. I'm grateful for the grace of God that has invaded the world through the person of Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary, through the hope and the redemption message that has spanned the length of time. Peace. It simply came down to whether they were sheltering under the blood of the Lamb. God made a promise. Those who were saved exercised faith in believing the Word of God. Let me ask you another question. How could they have peace in a time like that? I mean, think about it. Put yourself in the context. All these plagues have been happening. The world as they know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah, and I'm just fine, you know? Sorry, y'all may get that every now and then. But we can be fine in the person of Christ. We can be fine when we take God at His Word and believe Him. They knew what was coming. By the way, was it Cecil B. DeMille? Got it wrong. Was it the angel of death? What does the scripture say? Who was it that was going to visit them? Some, somebody tell me. Who was going to visit them? Right there in the passage. Who's going to visit them? Through the night. Who's going to come through there? Read the text. Who's got the answer? For $500 and a... No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, no, that was not a true statement. <laughs> the Lord. The Lord. The Lord's the one who's going to pour out the judgment. There is coming another judgment. And for those who aren't covered by the blood of the Lamb will feel the wrath of God. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world that through Him the world might be saved. But the world is already under condemnation because they've not believed. 
So that wrath is just waiting to fall, and God one day will execute that judgment. So we see again here an example. How can they have peace in the midst of a time like this? They wouldn't have had any sense of rest or peace because of their works. Well, you know, we did, we did uh, exactly what God said, and we did this and that, and, and look at me, pat on the back, I've done such a good job. No, they're not resting in that. The rest and the peace that they had, the rest and the peace that you and I have as believers doesn't come from our own worthiness. It doesn't come from our own works. It comes from the simple fact that God has given us His Word. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ that's been shed for our sins. Jesus is our peace. Don't take my word for it. If you're writing it down, look up Colossians 1.20. Look up Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. Romans 3, 24 to 25. Romans 5, 1 through 9. And you know what peace leads to? Peace leads to praise. My final point. Can y'all believe that? I got to my final point and it's only a little bit after 12. That never happens. If you're a visitor, I'm just kidding. I don't want to scare you. All right. Praise! Exodus 12, 14. Look at 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Finally, we see that God instructed the Israelites to make the Passover a lasting ordinance. It's a day worthy to be celebrated. No doubt. Celebration for them. God had redeemed them from the land of Egypt. Church, I'm excited that we get to celebrate 4th of July this week. It's a memorial. It's a day that should be recognized for the freedom that we celebrate as Americans. Praise be to God. But church, we have even more of a celebration. More than the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt. Even beyond our own independence as a nation known as the good old U.S. of A. For we have even more to celebrate because of our deliverance and dependence upon Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. He's redeemed us from the world, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. His blood is over our lives. We've been declared righteous because of it. So conclusion, just to recap, in case some of you fell asleep, you can wake them up. First, the Passover. We saw that it's a whole new beginning. Behold, new things have come. It's worth pondering our new position in Christ. Second, we saw it's personal. We're all responsible for Him going to the cross, and yet we are all loved individually so much that He would have gone to the cross for any one of us. Third, we saw perfection. Our Lamb is totally without sin, without blemish. Fourth, the predictive. Like the Lamb was to be eaten and the remains burned, we find fulfillment of that Lamb of Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God in Jesus, and, and, and how he was judged by God the Father for our sin. I, I wanted to get into the passage. You get into John, you talk about uh, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. You know, oh, this is too tough. We can't follow that. And, and so there's so many things when we compare again the Exodus out and then the, the bread from heaven that was supplied for them there. Guys, here's the point Jesus wants you all in, it's personal, there's perfection, it's predictive. Fifth, the preparation. We also noted that believing in the Lord Jesus is the beginning of a journey. So we should always be asking the Lord for His direction and obedience to respond to what we hear. Sixth, the peace. We also looked at the grounds for peace and rest and we saw that this came through the blood alone. And then the last point that we hit on today was the praise. This should be a cause of thanksgiving, worship, it should make the cross of Jesus be for us what God intended it to be. A celebration. A lasting celebration. 
one that we never get tired of. You know, I'm glad we live in a great country where we have certain freedoms. The freedom to proclaim the gospel message. But if you are here and you have never been delivered from the bondage of sin through the person of Jesus Christ, then you have no idea what true freedom really is. Why not let Christ be your spiritual independence or dependence day? God provided deliverance for the people of Israel. God has also provided deliverance for the world. Whosoever will, let them come. If he's dealing with your heart today to come to him at the cross of Calvary, the Spirit of God is nudging your heart. Don't harden your heart. Listen, hear, obey, respond. Put your faith in the finished work of Calvary. Jesus' blood covers it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this reminder of a message and the way of uh, the nation of Israel as we reflect as a country upon our independence. Uh, Lord, we are truly grateful, grateful for so many things in this country. And you have still allowed us the freedom to proclaim the gospel message without fear of severe persecution in this country. Yeah, we, we face as believers ridicule, uh, maybe uh, scoffed at or... Um, and Lord, no doubt there's some persecution that is arising. Uh, absolutely. But Lord, we still currently speaking are not in fear of, of this gathering today. Uh, I can still walk across to my neighbor's house and share the good news without fear of the government coming and arresting me and throwing me in prison. Lord, help us to see that we are still walking in light and seize the day while it's still light that we will proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ because this is a world that is in need of this message. Send forth laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. Lord, thank you for the saving grace that you've provided through the cross of Calvary. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, speak to their heart, draw them in, into repentance, Lord, that they will turn from their sin, put their faith in Jesus Christ alone as their only means of salvation and that today will mark a new beginning. Today would be a day of celebration as you work the work of salvation in their life. We'll give you the praise, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.